takes his pen. Welcome to Prince Trouble Track presents Steve Wonder Classics, and today we're going to be talking about Visions. I guess you could call it the title track from the album Inner Visions, uh, released on the 3rd of August 1973. On the track we have Stevie Wonder, and then uh, in one of the more unusual developments, we have David Walker, Dean Parks, and Malcolm Cecil, uh, all playing different types of guitars. Uh, it's very rare that Stevie Wonder ever did this, but we have an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, and Malcolm Cecil is on the upright bass. Um, Obviously, Stevie's still there on the Fender, um, but it's it's mostly uh, guitar-based, uh, so it's uh, kind of unusual on this album for that to happen. It is 5 minutes 23, and joining me to talk about today is Daniel Lifland. Hello, Daniel. Ah, hi there. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that kind of the main thing that makes this track stand out on this album is just the fact that the, the instrumentation is completely different from everything else. Uh, you know, we're not, like, there's not even, like, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder on drums. Um, you know, it's it's kind of just all based around the kind of the, the piano and then all, all these different kind of guitars. And in particular, that upright bass is very kind of prominent, um, you know, on the track. Um, you know, it's a, a, a kind of contrast with, you know, by the time this song finishes, you know, the intro for the next song is very much like on the Tonto synthesizer. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, very much. it's kind of and the and and kind of too high as well. You had a lot of kind of. You know, it's really heavy on the Fender and harmonica and kind of piano. And and so to then kind of follow that up with a song, which is kind of stands out basically as as being mostly uh, guitar based. It's it's kind of interesting mm. that, you know, the, the kind of uh, the production of it is is it's just one of those kind of different things about it. Lots of different um, inflections of guitar as know. well. Lots of different styles. Lots of, lots of sort of like a, a lot of the acoustic guitar especially goes into a lot of different spaces. Yeah, yeah, it's and and I, like like I said, that kind of you can really hear the upright bass. It's like the, it's just it's very, um, it's kind of almost like it's a jazz trio, except Stevie Wonder is still there in the background on <laughs> playing his Fender Rhodes and also doing the vocals and stuff, um, you know. But and also like uh, I I guess I mean on Innovations you do have. Um, you know, he's Mr. Know-it-all, don't you worry about the thing. There's a bit of kind of like, and obviously living in for the city, there's like a lot of social commentary stuff. And I don't know if I would say that Visions is the same, but it just, it, it's kind of, um, you know, it is basically about this vision that Stevie Wonder has of, you know, uh, he, well, I mean, he opens it up saying, you know, people hand in hand, you know, like, you know, and, and I like how kind of there's a question in these verses of, you know, like he, he lays this idea out, you know, uh, you know, where hate's a dream and love forever stands, and then he asks, "Or is it a vision in my mind?" And then, and then, and then he kind of so each each time he kind of does that, um, and then in the chorus, um, you know, he he has this whole thing. I mean, probably some of my favorite vocals on this album is the way he sings. You know, I'm not the only one who believes that the leaves are green; they only turn brown when autumn comes around. I actually have uh, that written down here as one of my notes. Is that that yeah. phrasing specifically is very interesting. And and I, I just I love as well, uh, particularly the fact that he uses autumn because obviously that is the correct way to refer to. Um, <laughs> yes. That Commonwealth that particular solidarity season. here, Darren. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, although the the funniest thing is uh, referring to you know what is obviously called autumn around these parts uh, as fall uh, was actually a British thing, uh, and the Americans basically kept it and the uh, the English abandoned it. So. Uh, it's kind of interesting that you know, but I, I don't know. I just, I just kind of like the the phrasing of it is so it's so well done. Like the you know, I'm not the only one who believes. I know that the leaves are green; they only turn brown when autumn 
comes around. And again, like there's no kind of straight rhymes in there. Just the kind of brown around is kind of half of a rhyme. So it's it's kind of in the delivery that it kind of it really works. Um, you know, and I know just what I say. Today is not yesterday and all things have an ending. Um, and it's interesting, of course, that when he does that, like uh, the second time when he brings the chorus back, he says all things have an ending. And then the song goes quiet as if it's finished for like about five or six seconds. And then it comes back in for like one last verse. So it's almost like Stevie Wonder is kind of kind of saying maybe this is the ending and letting us think about it. And then just coming back in one last time for one more verse. Um, yeah, I sort know. of read those. It's interesting that having, hearing you say it, I sort of read it as almost like a sort of, sort of a pragmatist lament, like a very... Uh, you know that if, if you look at the social commentary that's just around the corner in five seconds once living for the city starts it's that it's he has that idea of you know these are the battles that the civil rights maybe i'm reading into like the civil rights movement has gone through um but i'm not you know going to say that this is the end or that we're finished fighting or that this is something that um has we've gone through it and we're out the other side it never feels it, it maybe he's sort of making sure that that's very clear to us all that he we have this vision but we're not there yet and we never were yeah i mean i mean, particularly the second verse where he says you know the law was never passed but somehow all men uh feel that they are truly free at last you know so he's he's kind of maybe that's where he's talking about the civil rights movement or you know the uh you know the 13th amendment or you know and this kind of, you know, have we really gone through this, you know, this far through space and time or is it a vision in my mind? So it's like he's almost saying, you know, have we have we kind of achieved what we want or, you know, it, is this just something I'm kind of dreaming about? Like maybe maybe we'll achieve this, um, you know, and I think as well, like the kind of the third verse is very kind of, you know, I mean, it, he kind of restates the third verse after he does the chorus one more time. So obviously, I think this is kind of the idea that he really wants to. Uh, kind of get across you know which is like uh but what i'd like to know is this a place that could exist so beautiful or do we have to find our wings and fly away to the vision in our mind so obviously you know the first couple of times he's asking is this a vision in my mind and then he you know the last couple of times he's stating we've got to we've got to go to this vision you know like this is this is where we've got to kind of aim for um and you know so it makes it i mean i feel like this is kind of uh probably one of the more melancholy songs on this album um you know and and so like the fact that it kind of turns like kind of the, the fact that he says you know he, he does the little fake out with the you know all things have an ending and then kind of stops the song and then brings it back for one last time to restate that verse and it's kind of like you know taking a more positive turn rather than saying you know have i just imagined that things could be better he's saying you know a place like this could exist so beautiful you know and and that that should be the vision that we're aiming for um, so it kind of takes like a, a kind of a positive turn towards the end. Um, and it has that placement where it is in the where it is in the album. Like too high is a very sort of busy that jazz inflection. You're right. There's a lot of instrumentation going on, and then it's immediately followed by this sort of just absolutely momentous sort of. And I'm assuming that when you write "Living for the City," that you know you're writing a momentous. Sort of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always think Stevie Wonder might lead my sort of list of people that when they woke up when they when he finished silent sealed and delivered he wasn't like yeah that's okay you, you can't write that song and not know <laughs> that it is just you, like this perfect song so placing yeah. this in the middle it gives it that it brings in a bit of melancholy um and a bit of sort of down tempo even though it's quite a busy busily um 
sort of guitar, you know, the Latin inflected guitar is in jazz inflected guitar is quite busy during the middle of it, but it has that tone that sort of brings you down a little bit before you get back up into the the more thumping beats. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like Living for the City is such a kind of big song. You know, it, I think, again, like kind of a, an underrated skill that Stevie Wonder has was, you know, with these albums in particular, is just the kind of programming them, of them. Uh, obviously, you know, Talking Book has that kind of seesaw in between him being in love and being out of love, um, going from song to song. Um, but on this album, he, you know, he, he's kind of building up from too high in visions to living for the city. And then after that, he kind of, you know, he closes the first side with Golden Lady, which again is a bit more of a, a kind of um, a bit more melancholy kind of song. And then he starts the second side with Higher Ground, which again is you know such a great song. And, and then he finishes the album with He's Mr. Know-It-All, which is, you know, a kind of a really big kind of important statement to finish the album with. Um, and so, like, it, he, he like he, he's so good at kind of putting the songs in, like, the right order, um, you know, like, and I think that's one of the things with these kind of, you know, classic Stevie Wonder albums is they are albums. Like, it's not just a collection of, like, random songs. He, he wrote all these songs roughly around the same time, and they're obviously kind of deliberately done so that when you listen to the album, you are kind of taken on a journey. So it's very deliberate that Visions is a kind of quieter song before you head into, you know, Living for the City. That is important because I don't think, I don't think, Honestly, I would ever have heard this song outside of listening to Inner Visions in its entirety. I don't. It's just one of those songs. Like it's a good song, and I very much enjoy it. But that's because of the way I listen to Stevie Wonder. Is we have Inner Visions and we just play it, and that's how that's how we listen to that those songs. And I think as well, uh, probably maybe my favorite thing in in kind of doing this podcast is uh, if if you go and take a look at the uh, page on Genius for the lyrics from this song. Uh, there's just one single comment from a year ago and it simply says, bruh, this song's so beautiful. That's literally all it says. And I I just kind of love that. Like, that's the only comment that anybody needs to make about this song is that it's so beautiful. And I agree with that. Like, I think it's like, there's something that I think some artists can do, um, you know, that that, like others can't. And that is kind of get across the melancholy, like regardless of what the lyrics Mm. are. You know, the way he sings, I'm not the one who makes believe. I know, the, you know, the leaves are green and they only change to brown when autumn comes around. Like that, just the way he sings those lyrics, you kind of get the melancholy of like, you know, the, the leaves dying and, you know, the kind of turning to brown. And, you know, all it's it's just within that, those those couple of lines, you you really kind of feel that in his voice. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's obviously and you don't why need you, the lushness either. He doesn't. There's not much lushness in this track. It's quite a... I guess flinty yeah. sort of track with that guitar, but he still manages to get that feeling in there through through his voice and the lyrics, and because he's such a great songwriter. Yeah, um, and I, I, you know, I, I mean, obviously, it's uh, a clear five out of five. Just a really good mm. song. I mean, yeah. you know, the entire album is five out of five. Really, yeah, it's, it's uh, a bit you know, there's a reason. Man. There's a reason why it's like in the top like twenty five, you know, greatest albums of all time because it's just such a clear. I mean, the fact that it's called Inner Visions, and you know, obviously this track is called Visions. Uh, you know, Stevie Wonder had a very clear vision of what he wanted this album to be, and you know, even from track to track, you get the idea that he he kind of understood that. You know, not every single song can be, you know five different synthesizers you have to kind of you know move away from that production to kind of make a different point with certain songs and i think like the guitars and the, the bass really work well uh with with, with the, the defender and and you know with his voice as well uh, and you know again of course we have like the kind of the, the the kind of double tracking as well on some of the lines and 
you know, he's, I, I don't know. I think the thing with Stevie Wonder is his voice is so good, you kind of forget how good his voice is. So occasionally you have to stop and go, Stevie Wonder's just a, a great vocalist. And just the way he kind of delivers these lyrics is, is kind of, uh, is kind of so kind of, I don't know, almost overwhelming how good he is at this. Um, you know, and this is, I think this is the first album as well um, where every single song is written, produced and arranged by Stevie Wonder. Like there aren't, there's nobody co-writing anything on here. Um, you know, he has the occasional like, um, uh, you know, backing vocal from one or two people, but it's mostly Stevie Wonder. You know, aside from, I think, Too High, every other track is just Stevie Wonder on vocals. Um, and, you know, like I said, you know, there's people playing guitar because that was like, you know, the one instrument that he didn't feel he was, you know, as good on as of everything else. But other than that, aside from the odd person coming in to do, you know, the odd bass or guitar, this entire album is is, you know, 100 percent Stevie Wonder. Um, and I think kind of at this point, he has a certain level of control over like what he wants to put out there that it's kind of unmatched at the time. Um, you know, which is obviously why he kept winning all the Grammys every year. <laughs> and and I yeah, and it's such an interesting time in that in that sort of that style of popular music too. If you you say seventy three or seventy five or seventy two seventy five, Stevie Wonder is sort of this gigantic totem in the middle of it. But around him, he's he, it's not. I mean, there's there's a lot of R and B in the charts and the Hangover from Motown, and we're just prior to disco, and we've got prog and rock and that sort of stuff coming in there. But he's sort of this maintain, like he maintains through that period when when popular music is going through a fair bit of change. I think the I think the advantage he has is he was slightly ahead of his time, so looking at the you know the decade as a whole, it might seem like he was kind of slightly out of step in a weird way. But I think he was actually kind of yeah. ahead of what everyone else was doing, and you know, kind of so kind of so more I don't know so accomplished that you know everybody else kind of is following trends and you know certainly in this country putting out way too much glam rock um but you know stevie wonder is just by himself he's not like he's literally kind of in the studio playing his own drums and then doing his own backing vocals and just not relying on instrumentation that other people don't use yeah and just not relying on anybody else to kind of tell him what he needs to do or what the latest trend is or anything like that so he's just kind of recording the songs he wants to record um, and then you get, you know, something like Living for the City, which is, uh, you know, I, I don't know that in the kind of the decade after that, anybody kind of really matched kind of uh, even like, you know, Don't You Worry About a Thing, which is kind of a more playful song. Like, again, like, I don't I don't think there's anybody out there in the 70s who kind of matched what Stevie Wonder was doing, um, you know, probably until you get into the 80s. And then you finally start to get people who are like, oh, yeah, they're probably just about as good as stevie wonder was in the 70s you know i think even in the 90s you're still struggling to find people who were on the same level as stevie wonder in the 70s like it was such a, an amazing output um and you know this song is and some of his hangovers from songs like this and uh, a previous one that i spoke about on you on i is a lot of i found there's a lot of 90s balladeer especially that sort of Teddy Riley and even some of the big popular works that Mariah and those people were doing, you can hear that in Stevie in the, in the mid-70s, even though it's a very different medium for very different reasons. Yeah. He, he, you can hear it in there. Yeah, I, th- I think this is the thing is like, it's, uh, you know, obviously it's kind of true that most people who were influenced by something today, it's usually from a couple of decades before because, you know, that's kind of what they grew up with. So you can, you know, certainly like someone like Mariah Carey, you could imagine her family kind of growing up and playing Stevie Wonder records. And then by the time she gets to, you know, kind of her early 20s, that's, you know, that's that kind of influence has already kind of seeped through and, you know, without probably without her even realizing it. And I think the same is true of like a lot of, you know, the kind of uh, the R&B from like the early 90s. It was 
you know, you can hear the kind of influence that Stevie Wonder had on a lot of those artists uh, at a point where Stevie Wonder had kind of given up on, you know, putting out records. Uh, I think his influence had kind of been so strongly felt, um, you know, that, you know, I, I mean, I think obviously he went slightly off the tracks in the 80s. I, and I think that's the problem is being so far ahead of everybody in the 70s. By the time he got to the 80s, there was no way he could have kept that pace up and there was no way he could have kept the innovation up and he couldn't have, you know, been... So it, it, inevitably, there was no way he was going to be able to kind of maintain that. Um, but, you know, the fact that his influence kind of went on for decades afterwards. It's, even today, there are still people, you know, I mean... Uh, unlike the the kind of the thirtieth anniversary of uh, Talking Book, you know, Macy Gray did like a full track by track cover of that entire album. <laughs> you know, like that's how like even even decades on, that's how influential Stevie Wonder is. Like people still feel the need to just kind of cover everything that he did, um, just because you know he he was so influential. Um, and like I say, even even like a low key track like this, it's like you, you can still kind of hear like the, the kind of how innovative it sounds. Even you know almost 40 years down the line it's like it's still you listen to it now and I, I think with a lot of I mean you know a lot of stuff from the 70s it sounds very 70s but I don't think that's something that Stevie Wonder ever fell into that trap you know like aside from the fact that some of his kind of synth choices maybe were a little bit 70s but other than that like you could listen to this track and I think you could play it to people day and people would be like you know they might be able to guess it was released before this decade, but I don't know that they'd be able to pinpoint it down to like the early 70s. Yeah, it sounds much more like Stevie Wonder than it sounds like 1973. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, well, if there's nothing else to say about uh, Visions, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Daniel? Um, the only thing I'd like to plug is a very quick anecdote about a time I saw Stevie Wonder. Uh, he was on tour here about 14 or 15 years ago and I was having a late night dinner in a Melbourne institution, um, an Indian uh, restaurant uh, in the middle of Melbourne called Gaylords, which uh, as you enter has mainly photos of the uh, owner with uh, Australian cricketers and or Indian cricketers and Sri Lankan cricketers who visited Australia. Uh, and I'd, we'd been out for a while, we'd had a few drinks and we were sitting in this restaurant and eventually it petered out and there was only one other couple and us in there so there's four people in the entire restaurant all of a sudden there's a bit of a shuffle at the front it's probably like 11 30 at night we're like okay it's time to go and uh, two enormous men walk into this restaurant and uh sit down and then we're like oh what's going on here and then another three men in, and then another 10 men and a few women walk in and then we do a double take and about four meters away from me sitting having dinner is Stevie Wonder. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, His show must have finished like half an hour before and they've driven into this Indian restaurant for saying in the middle of Melbourne down a little dingy alleyway and Stevie Wonder was sitting four meters away from me. Uh, so yeah, just it was, uh, and I, you know, start, there's certain people you get starstruck about or whatever that term is. Stevie Wonder might be like in the top, like he's Stevie Wonder. Yeah. This is not like seeing a pop star or football player or something. It's Stevie Wonder. He's totemic. He's like the word icon gets thrown around. I mean, he's the absolute icon. Yeah. And has been for sort of five decades. So yeah, it was an incredible thing just to see him up up close. I mean, I guess the only other one who'd be bigger for Australians would probably be Jason Donovan. Probably just one step above Stevie Wonder, maybe. Yeah, yeah. We've, I mean, when Kylie comes back now, we're like, 
she's from somewhere else now. I mean, so uh, we've lost it. Possibly, if Holly Valance came back to our shores, we could um, have the same yeah. reaction. Yeah, just That's about just it. about. But other than that, you know, yeah. all of them, and then Stevie Wonder's probably the next on the just just yeah. right just there, look, yeah. just right under me. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter uh, for this particular project at Steve. Thanks for being my guest here on this episode, Daniel. Otherwise. Oh,